Welcome to the Working Well Podcast. I'm Tim Boris, CEO of Fresh Wellness Group. This show explores the diverse aspects of workplace health and personal performance. On the Working Well Podcast, we dive into the foundations of what makes wellness work in workplaces around the world. We connect with corporate leaders, executives, and industry experts who are helping make life more awesome at work and home. Join us to learn workplace wellness best practices, personal performance tips, and access resources to jumpstart your personal and corporate programs. Everyone, welcome to the Working Well Podcast. I'm here with Mike Skripnik. And Mike's a catalyst that helps spark mid-career entrepreneurs with great potential to put their vision into action for big impact. Intentionally adding energy at the right time in the right way with the right person allows impact to go interstellar and set off a cosmic ripple effect. The multiplier effect of entrepreneurial success extends through generations. Mike is a renowned business coach, seven-time best-selling author, featured podcast guest speaker, and producer of the social, TV, social movement TV series. His grow, get, give philosophy and training holds the keys to success of the world's most successful entrepreneurs. He lives, loves, and adventures in Squamish, BC, Canada with his wife, Sherry, and his two children. Welcome, Mike. I'm excited to have you on the show. Tim, I'm happy to be here. It's good to see you. And uh, that's the first time I've heard that intro, so I'm really happy. It sounded pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> nice Thanks. <one>. Nice work. <laughs> uh, well, one of the reasons I had you on is you have an amazing background and so many pearls of wisdom to share with our listeners. And I'd like to get started with having you share the story behind your grow, get, give philosophy, as I know it will resonate with many of the corporate professionals and the business owners we have listening. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a long story, but I'm going to shorten it as, as tight as possible. Um, there I was 13 years in uh, corporate guy. Well, corporate guy I was in the investment management world. I was a portfolio manager with in at the time that would have been my middle of my career. So 13 years in the financial crisis is happening all around everybody. And I was actually sitting in traffic um, on my way home from work. It was snowing in mid-September in Calgary, which it does occasionally. <laughs> and yes. I was thinking my life sucks. I really hate this um, in my brand new Audi and going to my beautiful house to hang, hang out with my beautiful family. Um, and I came on the radio. So I'm listening to myself do the radio spot that I recorded an hour earlier um, telling, you know, the market that, um, Lehman brothers just went under. So I'm thinking something's got to change. I gotta, this is not going to be my life from now on. I have to figure out a way to bring what I do on the weekends and evenings into my life. And so, uh, you know, fast forward a year, uh, later, and I basically wrote on the whiteboard at work that I was going to give a million or at least help give a million dollars to charity every year, um, in my business. And so I had to create a business that supported it. And it really boiled down to three elements that I didn't know when I first started it. Like I didn't know this grow, get, give thing. Someone actually told me that years later that I really like your grow, get philosophy, grow, get, give philosophy. But it really was um, a process by which I needed to become credible in the eyes of the people I wanted to help. Wait, right. So I want to help uh, donors, the millionaire next door and charities connect so they can explore the philanthropy. In order to do that, I had to become credible and I had to do that by building what I call a mountain of credibility. And so that allowed me to grow my business by connecting what I was about, my passion and purpose with 
um, a message to the people that I wanted to serve in a way that they just said that, okay, come on this side of the table. You're one of our trusted people. You know, you're one of us. And that was an important phase. And then what ends up happening is you end up starting to have some success and you gain traction. And, you know, even at that frustration point years earlier, I was like working too much. And I just said, this is untenable. But um, of course, as you get more successful, you work too much. And I couldn't figure out how to bring the right people into my business. And so I developed these rules around life and business about how to bring the right people in. And I learned how to do that well, how to establish the right processes and systems. So people give you, you know, freedom and processes give you leverage. And then systems, of course, give you scale. So um, I called that my get more freedom. These were freedom rules that I established. And then lastly, I mean, it started with give and it ended with give. And the give part really was, you know, making sure at the time it was really just all about the money, like getting money to charity. That was my goal and that was my marker of success. But in time it developed and it evolved and it really centered around giving back to yourself, your family, you know, your community with whom you wouldn't be able to succeed in business anyways, because it was the community. And now it's an online community that supports you and then causes that matter. So personal, professional and philanthropic development is really part of what I call a big impact giving process. So Grow, Get, Give is about establishing and building a mountain of credibility, creating freedom rules in life, and then ultimately creating your own big impact giving process. Absolutely. And I love the philosophy. I love that approach. And what you said about sitting in your car in the snowstorm in September and just thinking, you know, <laughs> wow, I'm, I'm successful, but I'm miserable. And yeah. there, there, are, there are so many people that, that I've met in, in the corporate world that are that way. And tip, a lot of times people get, they, they get successful in their career. They move up the ladder and they have all the things that they want or they thought they wanted in life but then there's there's not that fulfillment and i know from when i started in the fitness industry we would see people come in that millions of dollars in the bank but they're unhealthy they're unhappy they're not fulfilled in their life they're they're just miserable in general and they're looking for some type of solution so what i I see what you're talking about and I'd love to hear a bit more about some of the, you know, even some of the clients or you don't have to obviously use names, but the, the stories <laughs> that you've heard of how people have transformed that. And, and particularly in the, you know, you, you mostly work with entrepreneurs right now, but even on the, the bigger picture, there are a lot of VPs, C-level executives out there that are in the similar situation. How oh, does yeah. that, how, how does that uh, connect with the entrepreneurs that you've seen or have you seen both sides of it? Well, I mean, you know, I'll have to say one of the things that was really important is that I was really living the life I wanted to live when I wasn't at work. Right. Yeah. And so it, it wasn't that my entire like I was doing some really good things and I'd done that. I'd been building around that. But I just I spent 40 or 50 hours a week, um, you know, doing not that not doing that. Right. So I had to change that. I just, and one of the things was you asked, you start to ask about people and clients. And, you know, at that point I had a number of clients that were kind of the right fit, but most clients, you know, as you see best, you know, best and worst of people in the hardest times. Right. Yeah. 
am going through a financial crisis, I saw a lot of the worst of people. And you, you know, I real, the, one of the realizations, I just wasn't working with the people I wanted to serve to do what I wanted to ultimately make an impact in this world. And so that shift had to happen. And then, you know, getting those relationships going. And then you fast forward a number of years later, the whole idea started to blossom. It started to grow, started to be built. And you could see traction in the business. You could see traction um, on uh, with my clients in terms of their giving. And you could see traction by taking to spend doing the things I love. Now, I worked with, um, you know, the I serve services industry, uh, people who had already done it, baby boomers, a lot of baby boomers, right? And a lot of the baby boomers, I'm hoping my internet state is okay for you here. Uh, <laughs> there might be some blackout, who knows? Um, but we're all living through that, aren't we, uh, right yes. now? Um, so I serve baby boomers had already done it. And they often would say in these conversations, you know, what you just taught me about giving back and my estate planning, I, you know, I really needed to know that 20 years ago, but I'm glad I'm hearing it now. But if only I knew. And I kept getting those conversations constantly. And so this is around 2014, 2016. And this is six years into that, you know, big million dollar goal. And we're already at 12 and a half million going back to charity. And I kept hearing it over and over. And then they would say, here's what I would have done. And coincidentally, and this is the hit home, another hit home moment is I had a bunch of clients, clients die. I had three clients who I cared about very much pass away in one year. And um, I had another couple have another couple of people had major health issues. Um, and these were when we were trying to instigate and implement good things in their life from a planning standpoint and a lifestyle standpoint, you know, it's that all already that whole idea of it will be fine. I can just work really hard and kill myself basically, literally, and, and forget self-care, forget my wellness. And then when I'm, when I'm feeling comfortable financially or otherwise, I can then do it. And, you know, what I learned from the people I served was they wish they never um, put in that kind of time. They wish they worked less. They wish they worked more on themselves. They spent more time with family. They did more on their wellness, right? And then the evidence was clear in the people who lived then when they put that aside, right? So that was that. Those two things were really key to why I stepped out of that industry to serve owners and entrepreneurs that were tw the 20 year younger people, the mid career people who really are going, there's more to this. There's more to my business, more to my life. Um, but I'm not sure because the truth is they don't really know and they're getting mixed signals. You know, you're in corporate wellness. Um, those, those messages aren't as available as they should be within corporations. Hearing it from upper management, no one's building it. Not many companies are building it into their, their, they're more and more now, but not many are. And in the industry we're in, no, not really. I mean, go out for big bad lunches, go out for, you know, late night drinking um, with clients. That was the, that's the mantra. I mean, I was a family guy, I went home and did more um, sports and coaching sports with my kids, but, um, but it was still the, you know, big lunches, big dinners, schmooze not a lot of let's go out and do fitness stuff you know yeah the ski trip wasn't skiing yeah yeah and that is on that note what how would you define wellness 
well, grow, get, get. Yeah. <laughs> no, but around the philosophy, um, it really is about that uh, personal development, like personal, professional and philanthropic, which is connecting your, you know, whatever impact that it is that, that you feel innately uh, compelled to do or have in this world. Um, I think those things really are key to it. And the element is all around, you know, understanding what's important to you in life, uh, physically, uh, lifestyle, relationship-wise with your family. You know, how does all this work? Um, and what makes you feel the best? And then finding um, how, how to do it and implementing. So, you know, the biggest thing for me, Tim, is the reason all of the things that I wanted to accomplish fell into place is because I found people who knew better than I did. You know, I hired coaches, I hired mentors, I went and had mentors, I followed the lead of the best of the best and read and read and read. Journey was learning from the best of others so that you can implement, implement in your life because most people just don't have any guidance, right? They don't. Yeah wellness what does it mean to you i mean most people have a no no idea you know it's 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 just like people you know and forgive me i don't want to be political on this but you know people who say well i'm not going to get a vaccine and they're pounding a big mac down their other you know like they don't have any, they have a problem with something that might be good for them and then they're eating a, just a terrible diet right yeah. that's a little bit of a challenge but they're not getting good information no one's setting um, good role models in, in business and in corporate and daily life. So yeah, um, I just think it's about seeking the answers and defining what that wellness means to everybody themselves. Well, and one of the challenges that we see in, in our business as well is the, the fact that wellness means so many different things to different people. Uh, I read a stat the other day, uh, I think it was Harvard, Harvard Business Review had a workplace wellness study and it was 91, 92% of companies have some type of wellness services in place. Uh, and it was three out of five have a defined wellness budget, which sounds great on the surface, but when you actually scrape away and dig a little bit deeper, how are they defining wellness? Very few of them have actually defined what it means to their organization because it may mean different things to different people and, and different companies. But if, if you can't define it, how do you know you're actually working to, towards that? <laughs> and one, one thing that I, I'd be curious to get your opinion on is I know from the entrepreneurial side, generally when you're, uh, especially on the smaller business side, there's much more flexibility to make change. Um, as, a, as a business owner, I know if I want to make a change in my organization, I can implement it relatively fast. I just mm -hmm. make a decision and it happens. But in the larger organizations, there's a, many more hurdles and steps to go through to create that change. And with those ingrained, I guess, ways of doing things, people may not always get the traction they want or the results they want. What, uh, what have you seen from people you've worked with in larger organizations and how they go about creating some of that change, especially once they get the philosophy and they, and they want to implement it more i think it's challenging at the best of times tim uh, you know there's i so i work with people I, I always say i work with people in the in the wealth and the health industries right the people who either serve provide products and services to those two main in industries 
or their their purchasers are having a relationship like luxury items or something you know it's yeah so i have people who might be independent uh contractors who are self self-employed entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs maybe 10 or 20 million dollar businesses with 20 people who work with them um but we also have this expanded network and some of my independent contractors serve fortune 500 companies they're you know they serve the large company and they always talk about of course leadership leadership is always it's such a buzzword um anybody talk about we're either talking about leadership or mindfulness these days that's kind of a the thing but really what it comes down to is the owners that i work with and then the people who the the c-suite people in major companies that we work with it's all about how that individual creates tone tone and you've heard the expression tone at the top um a tone at the top is a culture of wellness and the culture of wellness is allowances for everybody else in the organization to seek out wellness. I, one of the challenges with insurance programs or a variety of coverage that we get within corporate environments is that there's limitations. And personally, I, I think that's probably one of the biggest detriments to corporate wellness is the limitations on the account balances. You know, I'm, I don't want to go for my massage every month because it's good for me, but because I stop in June because I only get six. And if I don't do that, then I can't get acupuncture. Like all of these different things that probably are really great for humans to incorporate into their wellness practices, um, they're, they're being limited. So if I could, I would abolish limits on all um, extended health benefits and just punish those that who are like abusing the system. But um, I don't think abusing the system is getting well <laughs> every month, you know, <laughs> and attending to it. I think it should be unlimited. So you have a person at the top who, or, or the C-suite who are interested in, pro, you know, promoting wellness. And then you have some limitations of program and then an inability because corporately they're not structured that way to create the accountability. So if you re removed the barriers, you added an accountability portion, and then you continued to have, give the voice to the C-suite, um, the executives who are really there to support, who incorporated into their own lives, then I think you've got a recipe for success. But unfortunately, it's like a three-legged stool. Usually those pieces don't exist. So all at the same time. So if you can get those in harmony, I think there's a lot of opportunity for, you know, maybe it's utopia. I don't know. You, you, you work in that all the time. Uh, I just think that's a utopian view of how I love it. I'd love limitless uh, wellness opportunity, um, you know, uh, accountability for people because they just don't know. They just don't don't know that you know or do they do it just you know you know that if you're going to get better at golf you got to swing your you know you got to practice and you got to get how many putts and how many pitches and you know yeah but people won't do the same um for other fitness or nutritional type activity right and then the tone at the top has to be an understanding that it saves lot it saves lives Tim. yeah i mean i saw it i saw a 50 year old dropping dead one year in my career and i'm like they're not well people. They believe in all the wrong things. They think that they have to work harder, miss their kids, 
you know, because it won't be better if they don't do that. You know, I, I just, yeah, I'm all about working smart and working right and not harder. Yeah. And traditional. Mean you don't have to work hard once in a while. You got to bust it sometimes. Absolutely. Yeah. There, but there's working hard and working smart and you can do both, but there's also working hard and just driving your head into the ground because you're just working on stuff that doesn't need to be worked on or you're not looking long term. And this is, you know, traditional corporate culture sets, uh, sets people up for that and supports that. There's the, the mindset that, oh, you know, someone that works hard, works longer hours is, you know, more dedicated to the company. So like maybe they're just ineffective and inefficient. And they... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, if they can't get done in eight hours, what most people can get done in three, then maybe you have a training issue. Right. Or maybe there's a personal health issue because they're not motivated, not energized. They don't feel good. They're not confident. You know, all of those things. And the whole corporate cult, corporate culture that, you know, golf is a reasonable way in a big organization with big sales departments. Golf is a thing. Right. Well, and then they shun um, going out for a run or going out uh, for a bike ride with, you know, that's that's shunned. You know, um, now I'm fortunate now I live in a, a location that it's hard to get people back in the office. <laughs> but, but the other way around works a lot uh, against the favor because what is an acceptable pursuit isn't always acceptable across the board for other things that essentially create the same level of wellness or maybe even more within your staff or your corporate or your organization. Yeah. And you hit the nail on the head when you said accountability. And that's, in my opinion, the biggest thing missing from workplace wellness, the corporate culture is that some companies have a C-level position for HR, you get chief people officer and things like that. But very rarely is HR sitting at the, the, the executive table, there's a VP, but then you've got the COO and the CFO and, you know, yeah. CTO and <laughs> HR is down here. And even within HR, there's not the there's no accountability for wellness. It's a piece of the portfolio, but no one sitting at the C in the C-suite has direct definable KPIs around employee health and performance. Right. I, I bet it's less than 0.1% of companies that they would have that. And it's just, but yet they have all these metrics for other aspects of the business. And the key driver for performance from the bottom line and the employee side is health, wellness, and happiness. Right. And there's no, there's no accountability for that. Right. And there's often, um, you know, there's often a differing, uh, there's one message, there's mixed messages, right? The mixed message is we support this. We acknowledge the data that shows that healthier, happier, more mentally uh, comfortable per people who are confident at work actually deliver far better results in less time. You don't have to worry about retention because they love being where they are. It enhances their life, right? And then the old message that, oh, but we have a deadline today. Every day you have a deadline. Every day you have KPIs that have corporate um, red registration or a corporate connection rather and um it doesn't register with your personal health so you're just like okay well what's the message and then there's a really um a haphazard way of creating accountability 
we give you the program, we do the work. Why aren't people staying on it? And, you know, just like anybody, um, accountability helps develop habits and habits are where um, habits, habits are the key things that need to be like completely broken, right? All the negative habits that people bring into their life, the negative self-talk, the negative daily routines that just you, you can't get out of because they're just so ingrained. We're developed over years. Um, and then, you know, the next phase is you have to strip those down to nothing and then um, not, not eliminate, eliminate the bad habits and then replace with a good habit. Mm -hmm. just one good habit at a time. How, how do you develop that on your own, right? Who, where are you accountable? And then you have employees who are, you know, living the life of work and then they go home and three people don't ascribe to it. So they go home and they completely break it down again. So, you know, it's a very challenging situation. Um, and that accountability factor habits have to come into play as well. Uh, and, and so it's complex, which means it's harder work for the C-suite to get their head around because their VPs all have to go in and execute. And, and it can be time consuming. It's out of their element. They don't have an understanding of it themselves. So um, there's some education that is really required around all of that. Yeah. And if we uh, pivot back a bit to the, especially the, the philanthropy side and I know a lot of employees, especially out there, they're like, well, that's for people that are millionaires. Uh, what what suggestions and tips do you have? Because I know there are lots of studies out there that just even giving time or a compliment to someone improves your overall wellness. So what, from a personal philanthropy side, what are your tips and suggestions to help people improve their their own happiness and health and life through philanthropy? Well, I, I have a friend, uh, his name's Herbert Lang. His, 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 his nickname is Flight Time. And uh, he's 18 year Harlem Globetrotter, three time amazing race guy. And this thing is hashtag kindness is free. And so if it all stems from just kindness is a, a free thing you can give, um, giving, uh, let's go, okay. So giving is, is free and giving actually produces better um, response in the giver than it does in the receiver. And when you think of charitable giving, the, the people, the beneficiaries of charity typically have no idea who the, the, the benefactor was, who gave, who made the donation in the first place, right? So the, we give and we feel good about that. And there's um, a physiological response to that. So, and it's studied and proven. So happiness, giving happiness, being happy, giving compliments and being kind, as well as giving in terms of donating, all have a physiological reward system that elevates how we feel about ourselves. So start there. But philanthropy, essentially, if you take it to the definition, is um, kind of the love of humankind, right? So philanthropy starts at that moment. Um, we've just moved it to believe that somehow philanthropists are people who are uber wealthy, who are redirecting their money to help other help charities out, right? And so we conceive that that's philanthropy. But if you break it down, philanthropy is love of humankind. And how do you give philanthropically? Well, we give in with time. Um, we give with what I call influence. And we give with money. And so how do you give time? Well, volunteering, right? And I, I, my first book, you know, years ago that kicked off all of this was around the idea of what philanthropy is. And it's a journey 
has some very clear steps and Oprah Winfrey and Bill Gates and Bono and Bob Geldof. I looked at all of these, what we call modern day icons and they all followed very similarly. They had a personal experience that connected them. They identified the causes um, and then the charities that ultimately the organizations they chose to support that they felt were, were really good. And then they figured out what it is they do best and they made it happen. So it wasn't always money, right? Bob Geldof, he could coordinate masses of people because he had all these connections in the music world and he could get them to pull off one of the biggest concerts ever. And he was passionate about it and everybody went along with him, right? So those type of things, Oprah may have given tons of money to charity, but she really ultimately changed literacy in North America. I mean, if you think about her biggest impact, she knew that she had an, a platform that she could advocate for reading. And Oprah changed the way people read and effectively probably changed the lives of millions of people. Because they started reading really personal and it might be money. And so if it was money, um, the biggest thing I am concerned about with money is that people aren't giving um, because they're worried that they don't have enough, right? Um, there's a scarcity mentality. Well, first of all, you got to eliminate that, but it's, you got to be realistic. Um, what you do have to be realistic is people tend to plan more about their next computer they buy, the next TV they buy, the car they buy. They will spend weeks and months planning that out. And then they'll just throw their money at a charity and, and say, that's good. I felt like heartfelt. That was great. And that's not bad. But what if you spent the same kind of time? What if you invested a week investigating what might be the best use of the amount of capital you have? And then what about the fact that maybe that 50 bucks today, you could actually maybe make that a half a million dollar gift if you in fact looked at other tools. And now I help people plan with insurance as one of the biggest tools for philanthropy. And quite frankly, if you, com if you combine philanthropy giving cash, insurance, and taxes, you can get to an estate plan that has zero tax, right? And give like a half a million dollar gift to charity that you otherwise would have been giving 50 bucks a year to, or whatever, 50 bucks a month to. Um, so you can find ways to elevate and magnify your financial giving, but you gotta ask. There are some great professionals out there who know what they're doing. Um, but a little investigation goes a long way. And I'd say people just invest a little more time than picking out your new phone. <laughs> right? For sure. And I, I, I don't know, that. was that helpful? I, I, was that a helpful input? Or were you hoping? Absolutely. No, that, that's wonderful. And I think it hits exactly on things that we talk to our clients about too, even on the health and fitness side is what, what's important to you? What's your purpose? Why are you, why are you doing what you're doing? You know, right. I, I, on our, we, our coaches, when people, someone comes in for personal training or to get fit, they're like, I want to lose 10 pounds. I'm like, why? What, what is <laughs> Yeah. Why is it important to you? Why? That's right. I, I'm like, I'm, I can lop off an arm and you'll be 10 pounds lighter. Uh, how's that going to help you? What's, what's this going to do for you in your life? Why, it's, why is it important? And I think very few people actually take the time to think about that and right. what it's, it's just that reflection time, uh, whether it's on the corporate side for wellness. Why, why is a wellness program important to our company? If it's individual, why, why do I want to be healthier and happier? What do I want to be able to do uh, on the giving side? What, what 
organizations, charities, um, do I want to donate my time or my money or my effort to? And yeah, you're right. People don't think about that. And there's excellent programs. Like you provide excellent corporate wellness programs for people um, through your business. There are excellent, you know, the United Way is, a, is the biggest uh, player in the market, but there's other um, online applications that go into corporate space that help people do philanthropic giving. And, you know, those programs exist, uh, but I, te I tend to think that they lose again in that whole accountability and habit side of things. They just, they're there, but no one knows how to use them. They don't understand what to do with them. And no one's making sure that they're looking at them again next week, you know? So um, it, yeah, it's just, and you know, human, like not everybody, it's not for everybody. Not everybody feels charitable and, and, and you don't have to feel it's virtuous to be charitable or giving like philanthropy is not just for the virtuous. You can be I wanted to, I always wanted to write a book that you don't have to be good to do good. You know, yeah. uh, you can be a jerk and still give, <laughs> like, or, or you can be grumpy. Like it doesn't matter. You don't have to, you know, go to church to feel that that's where, you know, it's just, I think that there's a belief that that's something that other people better than me do. And it's not true. Well, what you said about the it giving benefits, the giver more than the, the don't, uh, the person you're giving to. I, I read a quote somewhere that says, be selfish, uh, yeah. give to others <laughs> because it's, it's going to benefit this, you more. So yeah, be yeah. as selfish as you'll be. <laughs> and here's something else. Um, tell people about it. I talked to a young man uh, in California just last week and he's got this whole platform that he, he allows people to celebrate their charitable and their giving and their philanthropic actions yeah. publicly. So he's not profiling the charities, he's profiling the person who gave. And so he's making them the feature. They're the celebrity. And it's not, um, you know, it's not a, a pure act of vanity. It's, it, but it's celebrating the good that they do so that they can create a role model. And I always had problems when people would develop these fantastic plans. We'd have amazing plans that suddenly like families given a million bucks to charity, right? And they didn't want to tell anybody. And that part, we got so far in the process and everything was connected. And I'm like, why don't you want to be a visible role model for people while you're living so that they can follow in your footsteps? Because you never know, just like your kids, like when you're a parent, they're always watching. You tend to forget that, but they're always watching, right? Um, you never know who's watching for your lead. What is it that you're doing that inspires others? And just think if you inspired others to do similar things, different cause, doesn't matter, but they decided to explore their philanthropy just because you shared that. Um, I think those things, I think it's really critical. So accountability, again, accountability, we're going back to accountability, but visibility yeah. is important. Yeah, very cool. Now, from a, I guess, what, what's the, kernel or wisdom uh, that you'd want to pass on before we start to wrap up things like if you could have people take away one thing from this call what what would it be <laughs> one thing uh, I would incorporate you know I would I would say the one thing that is really critical is it actually just like grow get give it all started with a give a giving mindset and end up with how to do it, you know, the give, the big impact giving process is the other end, how to actually execute it, but lead with, you know, that passion and that purpose 
Um, but don't leave it alone at that moment. Add some action to it. I talk about being the catalyst or the energy and the spark for people. It's exactly that. You, you can think about helping humanity all you want, but if you don't get up your, off your ass and do something about it, nothing gets done. So action has to be added. Energy has to be added, a spark. And for, for a lot of people, maybe that's, um, they need to find someone who can coach them through it. They might need some people to um, guide them, advise them through it, or they just might have to read a book and learn through it. So whatever it is, um, lead with that giving purpose and then explore um, how to execute it. And in between, just live a, a good life that makes all of that el happen or eligible to happen. Like, right, if you set the platform, set the table in business and life for a bigger impact, then you can make it happen. But if you don't, you can't make it happen either. So. Well, that was a bigger sentiment than the one word. That, no, that that's great though. Is a lot of people start, uh, <laughs> fail to take action because they don't know how to do it. Yeah. And all you need is the willingness to want to do it and the persistence to say I'm gonna, or not even the persistence, the almost the enthusiasm to say, you know what? I know I don't know how to do it, and I'm gonna figure it out. And that means talking to other people. What when you approach it from that mindset, it anything's possible. Yeah, absolutely. Very cool. Imagine if you just open up a conversation, say, "I want to do this. I don't know anything about it. Can you help me?" Um, all of a sudden, that person's going. Not only can I help you, but I can introduce you. Suddenly, your network's bigger. Suddenly, your personal and professional opportunities expand. So all you had to do is just say, "Help me. I don't understand it, but my intention is to do better." Excellent. So uh, before we wrap up, where can people find you? Well, they can, they can find me online all the time, but uh, I'm trying, you know, we're all living in a digital world, aren't we? Um, growgetgive.com or mikescripnik.com, same website. That's where I am all the time. You can, I, ha I host events. I have a breakfast. I have weekly, a monthly speakers club. I have a monthly guest speaker. So all my events are there. And as well on LinkedIn and Facebook and Instagram under my name or Grow Get Give. So you just Google my name and you'll find me for sure because there's no scriptniks around really. Um, and Grow Get Give, uh, you'll find me at growgetgive.com and you know just find those two. You'll you'll find me. Awesome. And, you know I I urge you and you know here's actually you know what I'll give you a give. Uh, how about a give? Give? You want to give? Sounds Free, good. A freebie. My, my book is also hosted at gggsecrets.com, gggsecrets, so you don't have to worry about messing up growgetgive.com, okay. and you get a copy of my book. You get a free copy of my book, and if you want to talk, just book a meeting. There's a link there. We can book a meeting and chat for 20 minutes and explore. Sounds great. I'll make sure that gets put in the, the link to, as well. Awesome. Thank you very much, Mike. It's been awesome having you on, and great, great wisdom to share, so thank you so much. And uh, hopefully I can have you back on again at another uh, uh, future date. Yeah, let's let's look at uh, you know a year from now and see how it's going. I wish you wish you the best of luck, Tim. This is going to be an awesome thing for people to hear. Um, you have a lot of wisdom to share, and you guide people really well through it. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Working Well podcast. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love to hear your experiences and how you've applied tips from the show to your daily life. So please keep us posted on your progress. 
To stay up to date with new episode releases, make sure to subscribe to our mailing list by emailing podcast at freshgroup.ca and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. And once again, I'm Tim Boris with Fresh Wellness Group. We'll see you on the next episode.